right now, Bet365 offering a wide range of markets, including first, last or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. We've got wall-to-wall Premier League football for the next few weeks with games being played nearly every day. And with Bet365's Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch all the games live, with Bet365 Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a hand break off. is Handbreak Off, the Arsenal podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Ian Stone. Our guest this morning, it's the A-Team. That's right, if you have a problem and no one else can help, and if you can find them, maybe you can hire Amy Lawrence, James McNicholas and Lee Dixon. Good afternoon. Thanks. What an intro. That's all right. Nice to speak to you all. Now, before we start, before we start, I do want to assure listeners that you didn't dream it last night, right? Uh, with David Luiz at the centre of our defence, we did beat the champions, Liverpool, uh, 2-1. Uh, I think we can say it was an unexpected result. So we thought before we get going, uh, we'd ask the panel uh, what your favourite or least favourite unexpected result was. James, I'm going to start with you. Well, I, I had to go for another occasion where we beat the champions of England and hopefully it can invoke some good fortune ahead of RFA Cup tie on Saturday, the final in 2017 when Arsenal were playing Chelsea. Uh, I think we forget maybe going in quite how big underdogs we were in that game. Chelsea had won the league. They were looking to do the double. We didn't have any defenders fit seemingly. Per Mertzak had to play his first game of the season effectively as centre-half alongside Nacho Monreal and a very inexperienced Rob Holding. And we pulled it off and it was a great, great day. And uh, I did not necessarily see it coming, nor the semi-final win over Man City, I should add. So it'd be lovely if we could replicate mm. that. Per Mertzak had played, I believe, one hour and 12 minutes in that whole season. And that was mainly in the final. I think it was about 10 minutes before the uh, before that game. Um, Amy, what about you? Unexpected results. Real Madrid nil, Arsenal won. I'll tell you why it was unexpected. Because if you look back at the fixtures around that time, I mean, the Arsenal's form going into that game was so utterly abysmal. I'll just uh, uh, take us listeners back to January 2006. Uh, out of nowhere, Arsenal beat Middlesbrough 7-0 in a league game. And then immediately after that, this is the run of results leading up to the Bernabeu. Lost 1-0 at Everton. Beat Wigan in the Carling Cup 2-1, however, lost on away goals and went out of the tournament. <laughs> lost 1-0 in the FA Cup and went out against Bolton. Uh, randomly got a win and beat Birmingham 2-0. And then uh, a draw with Bolton and a loss against Liverpool. Uh, at which point, uh, Arsenal showed up at the Bernabeu and uh, I remember walking around outside the ground with a mate who was after a ticket uh, and uh, and we were 
I kept looking at him going, don't spend your cash, mate. You know, there's too much money that people want for this game. Like, go and watch it in a bar, you know. Um, and then, of course, it turned out to be one of the all-time great Arsenal performances uh, ever, um, especially in Europe. Young Cesc Fabregas was just sensational. Henri uh, led the game imperiously. And the that kind of makeshift defence um, that managed to not concede any goals more or less on the road to the final uh, was was fantastic. But it just, there was no evidence whatsoever in Arsenal's form for about nearly two months prior to that, that they were capable of being the first English team to ever win in the Bernabeu. Unexpected. I would, yeah, my heart's all a flutter listening to that. It was absolutely lovely. <laughs> uh, Lee, what about you? Unexpected results. You played in a few, didn't you? Um, yeah, played in one or two. It's more more of the question, um, unexpected question, based on the fact nobody <laughs> sent me the question again. <laughs> so I'd just like to publicly um, announce that I'm not playing these games anymore, where I get left out of telling me what we're talking about before we actually go on air. So, um, but it wouldn't have made any difference whatsoever because, um, and I've already heard somebody say I can't pick Liverpool 89 and I've no idea why I can't pick that um, because that that was the most unexpected result ever. Even though we all give it the old, yes, we knew we were going to do it deep down. Most of the players on the night, as we've spoke about it before, um, were just trying to keep Liverpool from scoring four and us getting them humiliated. So, it was a brilliant night and very, very unexpected, but welcomed. Okay. Um, do you want to that. be in the WhatsApp group, Lee? Do you want to be in the WhatsApp group? Because you're more than welcome, I honestly. I really. can't believe... Well, put, I tell you he what... He doesn't want to be in the WhatsApp do. group. No, I'll tell no. you what we should do. I, let's, let's, let me answer that question and go, yes, can you please put me in the WhatsApp group and then edit the next <laughs> bit I'm going to say, because within 10 minutes, I'm just going to leave. After I've accepted, I'm going to leave... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Can I choose? Um, I was going to choose two uh, Palmer in Copenhagen with a midfield that contains oh. Ian Selly and Steve Morrow, amongst Why others. Didn't I think uh, of that one? And, and um, I had more time, Lee, to be honest with you. And um, <laughs> also, 2 0 away at Manchester City about, I don't know, five years ago when Francis Coquelin played in holding midfield. And uh, mm. I think Cazorla and Giroud might have scored. And I went to the game uh, and it was a masterclass in, in how to. to just sit back, contain the team, and then hit them a couple of times. Uh, totally unexpected. Um, as Lee said, unexpectedly beating Liverpool in 1989 was one of the shock results. Um, can I, can I just throw night. in one more just before yeah, we yeah. move off this? This is an unexpected in not such an uplifting way, but I just thought of it and, and, and I thought I would delve into a book I wrote a long, long time ago called Proud to Say That Name. And... In it, I uh, interviewed Ian Wright and many other players about sort of favourite games and favourite moments and things like that. And we talked about Wrexham. And I'm going to just read you what he said oh, when he remembered what really? happened. about that one as well. Really? Uh, well, it, it, I, I, I kind of think this is funny. Um, Ian Wright was not playing in this game because he was cup-tied, I think. So he, he went up anyway and was sort of with the lads. Uh, and Arsenal were winning 1-0 at... at um, at half time, sort of so far, so straightforward. This is the FA Cup third round. Um, it was a, a kind of classic draw of its genre. Uh, a, you know, a, a lowly struggling team. I think Wrexham had finished 
90 second <laughs> of the uh, entirety okay. of football <laughs> the previous long. season, uh, yeah. which are when and Arsenal had finished top. So it was a kind of souped up David and Goliath situation. And uh, it was 1 0 to Arsenal at half time. Um, and in the and this is where I hand over to Ian Wright, and he goes, I thought we're going to romp this. Me and Merce were in the toilet messing about keeping the ball up, and Merce was smiling. What's the score going to be? It was like the kiss of death. We were laughing. Just imagine if they beat us. They beat us. It was like someone throwing freezing cold water all over you. Whoosh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was a funny story. It was an awful memory, but uh, it was uh, very, very, very unexpected, George, though. George Graham didn't see the funny side of it, I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah. Did you play, Lee? Uh, yeah, and I should have picked that one really, but I'd, I'd forgotten all about it. I've wiped it from my memory. I do remember after the game that George coming in the dressing room, and he, I can't use the word he used because it's a family show, but he came in the dressing room and we all had our heads bowed down and, and we didn't look at him and he just, it was silence and everyone was like, if I look up, he's just going to pick on me. So nobody looked and then he just went, you lot. And we all looked up at once and he just went and he said, the most <laughs> terrible word that you could, <laughs> that you could ever call somebody to every one of us and then went, get out there now and speak to the press. I'm not going to speak to him. And he made us go out and speak about it. It was just so cruel. I hated him from that moment. Cruel? On. Cruel. You weren't standing <laughs> on the platform at Wrexham Station, mate. Yeah, I have to agree oh, with you. On my right, own. Hang on, <laughs> hang on. I, I, get, I get the supporters' view on this, but I, we didn't do it on purpose. It wasn't... No. <laughs> Wasn't we understand. Planned. We understand. I mean, this is interesting, right? I mean, we're not going to talk too much about Spurs on Sunday because, God, we don't want to. Does it, but I just want one question about that, really. Does that result really mean anything in the long term? Because, and the reason I'm asking that, what, we have a defence consisting of Kalasinac, Mustafi and Louise. They are going to make mistakes. James, are they not? And And so, therefore, and the way that Mourinho plays the game it was sort of inevitable to a certain extent that that might happen, and it did. Yeah, that's quite skillfully compartmentalised there, Ian, as any Arsenal <laughs> fan you. would. Yeah, it won't. It probably won't mean anything to us, but it, I suspect it might mean something on the other side of North London. Uh, I think that game just sort of illustrated that, you know, the best laid plans can just come apart when you've got people who make massive individual errors. And unfortunately, in the case of some of these centre-halves, it's not a one-off occurrence. It's something that, happens repeat times. I mean, I'd love to know, Lee, what did you make of, of the defensive oh, performance at White Hart Lane? I feel like well, we need to open those floodgates. Back, back, back away from the Lee, microphone. Should we go and have a cup of tea for 10 minutes while you just... <laughs> I mean, how did we... The, 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 I, did the, I did the commentary at the game, I was there, and I was like, how have we lost that game? It's just a bizarre, you know... And you take a step back and you go, this is why we lost the game, because exactly what you just said, it's Mourinho and he plays in that sort of way. And we had three three of the uh, the back five um, all making mistakes on a you know minute to minute basis. So that's how we lost it. It was quite easy. And in the end, when you when you um, describe it like that and actually analyse the game like that, it's it's basically no surprise we lost the game. Sponsors Handbrake Off, a podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Carries was founded by Jeff and Andy. 
to ordinary guys who were sick and tired of overpriced razors. Jeff and Andy knew there was only one way to ensure quality, so they bought their own factory. And now, by taking less profit, Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave, a weighted ergonomic handle, five precision-engineered blades, rich lathering shave gel and a travel blade cover. I haven't been shaving for a while. Right now I look a little bit like Saddam Hussein is when he came out of the hole. But some people are still keeping their standards up. And if you're one of them, as a listener of Handbrake Off, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95. Support our podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and travel blade cover by going to harrys.com forward slash off right now. That's harrys.com forward slash off. If you'd have have said we're going to take three points in Spurs and Liverpool, I'd have gone, yeah, okay. I'd have expected that. I'd have expected us to beat Tottenham and lose last night. The fact that it was the other way around, it does make it a little bit frustrating, but Amy, it's it's just, this is Arsenal's defence at the moment. And this is part of why, and we're going to get to this, why Mikel Arteta what he, said what he said when they said, do you have the finance you'll need? And he said, I don't know. And the reporter said, is that not a concern? And he said, it's a big concern. There's no magic to build a squad. You need to improve with quality, quality players. He must be looking at some of those defenders. If anything, I wish he'd said it with a bit more um, passion because it's fundamental. If, you know, one of the things that I got a bit frustrated about, and I've seen lots of people say after the Tottenham result, sort of trying to rationalise and compartmentalise, a uh, season out of Europe, Europe will do us good, this kind of line about the season out of Europe being a positive thing. And I know it's a, there's two sides of the debate, I get that. But I just find it difficult to not be really prioritising the fact that every penny counts. So qualifying for the Europa League, even if people don't love it, um, actually might be the difference between you know, another better player coming in and not seeing the same old players. If it, There was a quote that uh, Michael Arteta said a, a little while ago about having three different perspective outcomes in terms of what's going to go, happen uh, for the rebuild. One is obviously predicated on the, the fantasy that Arsenal might have got back in the Champions League. The second is Europa League and the third is nothing. And essentially, if there's no Europe, unless there is somehow miraculously a bit of a change in the way that the um, club is backed, you're looking at the same set of players. So it's all very well saying, oh, you know, going to change this and going to change that. Well, how? Why isn't it going to be Kolasinac and Louise and, and Mustafi next season? They're all still under contract. If you can't sell them and you can't buy anyone else, that's the team, isn't it? I mean, of course, we've got Saliba coming in and that's hugely hopeful. And Pablo Mari, uh, if he can come back from his injury sooner rather than later, is going to be another option. But it's it's a bit of a fantasy to think that all of a sudden Arsenal are going to be able to do kind of tons and tons and tons of business, get rid of all the players you don't want and bring in the kind of players that you do want unless something unexpected happens. Going back to that word, unexpected. I mean, can I just put this out there? I'm looking at uh, uh, at Wikipedia. The Europa League prize money is eight and a half million euros. So, I don't know. No, 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 no. That might be the prize money. That's not what you get for being in it. 
Uh, Arsenal got something like 30 to 35 million for getting to the final. I don't think as fans, any of us are enamoured with the Europa League. It's not a great competition to watch. The games aren't that much fun. But I do think financially, it would be, in the current situation especially, and the revenue that we've already lost, I think it would be pretty disastrous for Arsenal to miss out on it. Lee, Lee, if if um if we don't make the Europa League, I mean we have owners who are worth billions. They are worth billions, and obviously Mikel Arteta was making a pointed comment. I know what you said, Amy, about more passion, but I think it came across that we need quality players. Um, he made a pointed comment about needing more finance. That the not qualifying for the Europa League, if that's what happens, cannot be put at the door of Mikel Arteta. He's having to deal with defenders who aren't good enough, right? Yeah, no, I think um, it's uh, the club's at a real crossroads, you know, and it's it's setting the foundations to move forward and entrusting Mikel Arteta with rebuilding this team like they did back in the day with George Graham because it's it's a sim- similar sort of surgeries needed, you know, quite a few of the players need to be replaced and new. There's some very good players at the club and they're hungry that coming in through the youth, etc. as we've already seen. So that's a bonus. And he's giving the, the, those players that opportunity. Saka, massive uh, bonus, the way he's developed and, and others as well. Tierney's going to be a top-class fullback. I'm pretty sure about that. So we, we've, we've got the building blocks. But I think that, that interview that he gave yesterday was a, a real telling... Um, set of sentences all strung together in a way an intelligent coach who has been under Pep at an enormously different structured club in Man City and he sees the, the potential that that he can now take over a club and be in a position to his ideas are all wrapped around that and he looks at them and goes right we, we would maybe do another Man City He's intelligent enough to know that they haven't got owners like Man City have got. So he's trying to push the envelope a little bit here and there to try and get the message over that he ideally he'd want to do it the same way. And and that is bringing those quality players in and that costs money. And the fact that they're not in Europe, he's now going to... There'll be a realisation, I'm sure there is already, not being in Europe is catastrophic for a team like Arsenal we've been so we've been out the Champions League so long the money's dropping 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 all of a sudden not in Europe it's a huge a huge blow and so if there isn't outside um, uh, investment from the owners which you know if, if you think that's going to happen then I don't know what planet you're on because we've never seen any of that of you know up until now so the structure's got to be run through the income you're getting in. That isn't good enough to be able to to replace the players that need playing uh, replacing, in order to get to the next level. And the next level is getting into the Europa League at the moment because we're not in. It. So that that's where that's how low our stock has dropped. That's how patient we've got to be. And the fact the good thing is the good thing is we have got Mikel Arteta who. You know, he's a he's a very very good coach, and I think he's the structures that he's putting together in the training ground are really brilliant, and we and we we, we should be thankful for that. But it's it's that's not going to be enough on its own. It needs the players. If there is no no Europe, and that'll be the first time there's no Europe for twenty five years for Arsenal of any description. On the sort of 
day-to-day level, if you don't have midweek football, if your only football is you play on the weekend and then you've got to wait till the next weekend, or it may be even longer sometimes, um, how does that affect your relationship with the game? You know, we're used to that sort of rhythm of you have a game and you've got to get over it quite quickly and get to the next one. Uh, I think it'll be quite hard, actually, um, to be sort of having lull, having quite long lulls between games. As a fan, I'd much rather have a game coming along quite quickly. Um, I don't know, Lee, most interested, probably from your point of view, from players. All my experience of being around players and, and training with them and playing with them is that you just want to play games. But if it's enforced upon you that you don't, you know, if you've got a free, if you get a free week, if you look and you go, oh, we're free next week, the first thing you think about, and I'm, you know, it's been in the game a long time. The first thing you think about is, oh, how hard strain going to be? You know, well, we're going to run on a Tuesday. You, you kind of plan the work. And um, and I was a good trainer. I, I enjoyed training. That was part of my my job description. I, I, I embraced it. But even I would go, got a free week now. I'd much rather have a game. Um, but... If it's enforced on you that you have two or three weeks where you haven't got a game for whatever reason, um, there, there, there becomes a part of that schedule that you all of a sudden you start to feel a bit fresher. You start to feel a bit that you've done some really good work in training. Those ideas and those systems are coming out on the Saturday. What playing games does, it, it completely separates your thinking from thinking about how to improve. You're just you're in survival mode trying to get through each game and go, can we win the game? Can... So the pressure on you is totally different. If you haven't got those games in the midweek, you start looking forward to the weekend going, oh, we've done some really, me and Ray Parler have done some really good work this week in training. You know, maybe we'll see, the, you know, we'll see the benefits of that on a Saturday. So you've done back four work all week and you play on a Saturday and you go, oh yeah, that works. So I think if there was a period of time where they're not in Europe, I think the benefit in, in the training aspect and how you improve as players and understanding would be hugely beneficial, especially because they've got quite a lot of young players there now. You can go through that process and they start to learn from training and then put that into a, a game on a Saturday as opposed to playing on a Wednesday, dissecting what happened, and then two days later, you've got to do it all again. So you haven't got time to, to, to improve that way. James, what about you as a fan? Missing games at um, in midweek? I don't have any great love for the Europa League and what it does to our fixture list. I don't really like the Thursday-Sunday rotation. Speaking as a supporter, this is, obviously. Um, I'd rather see you know my team play on Saturday afternoon, as distant a memory as that may seem at this point. Uh, for me, it is a fiscal thing. It's about the money. And, you, you know... The, People often cite the example of Chelsea dropping out of Europe entirely following season. They won the Premier League, but they did that because they went out and bought some pretty good players in that summer. And I don't think Arsenal, with the ownership structure they have, would necessarily be able to do the same thing without that support of European football. From my point of view, Amy, to answer the question, um, I remember when we were in the Champions League, especially in the last few seasons, if you're saying to me, you know, people saying, oh, we have to be in the Champions League. And I said, I, I find it tiresome that we're getting humiliated by Bayern Munich in the first knockout game. I'd rather not be playing that game. And then we ended up in the Europa League and I didn't particularly like the opposition, but at least we were getting some wins. But as things have got worse, um, I'm not saying it's been embarrassing, 
losing to what was it Olympiacos last season or was it this season? It seems it like was, a thousand yeah. years ago. <laughs> but um, um, yeah, I I feel more optimistic about these young players than I have for some time. I feel more of a connection with these young players than I have for some time. If you're saying to me that the only way we hang on to this great young talent and maybe nurture it and move forward is to be in the Europa League, then I would reluctantly say, okay, let's be in the Europa League. But I just want to see young boys, the young boys that we've got playing with commitment. And and the thing that Mikel Arteta said yesterday, another thing he said post-match, the gap between ability is enormous. I think we can all see that. Whereas the gap between accountability, commitment, energy and the fight is closed. And that wasn't the case in the past. Surely, and this is a question for all of you, surely that is what we want to see before anything else. The fact that, see, I I just think, I, I understand what he says and the fact that you're talking about it resonates with the fans. And it, but to me, that it that's just a given. That is just a given. And I know it hasn't been a given in the past and that's why it's a thing now. And that's where, we, that's how far we've been off the pace is the fact that now the manager is talking about something that should actually, he shouldn't be talking about, but he's had to talk about it because it's not been there in the past. So the, it's, it is, he's absolutely right. There's the, you know, the fight, the endeavour, the the hunger, the, you know, we can see a return to that. So the fact that he's talking about that and he's right, you know, that that has changed. And and I go back to what I said before. I believe that what's going on on the training pitch, um, is really encouraging. So I'm all behind him. I you know my reservation. I had my reservations when he came in, based on the fact that it was his first job. And you know, do we need somebody a little bit more authoritarian, as in um, Allegri or somebody like that? But he's shown that side of him as well with what what he's done with Özil and Genduzi, and absolutely spot on as far as I'm concerned with that as well. So there is there there is a closing of that um, that gap that there was, um, but it, it, that should be a given. The next bit is how do we coach the players that we've got to now coach into a into a team if you're not going to get the 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 money that he he's talking about that you need to replace certain players he's got a, he's got a, as you as you just just said that those three center backs i mean obviously holding played last night and did did well um you know i think he's going to be a big player moving forward keeping fit etc i think he's he could be a a very good center back so um but yeah it's going to be a training it's going to be a training ground a, a training ground job and the fact that we're not in europe might give him the time to do a little bit more work on the training ground uh, amy um a couple of moments from last night uh, i mean it was great fun watching it emmy martinez when david luiz is going up for a corner near the end and i think i won't use the exact phrase david now where the hell are you going um, is he our number one goalkeeper now, Emmy Martinez? Um, I don't know, but I do know that when I read that tweet from James, uh, who was at the game last night, I didn't know whether James was just doing that for a joke because it was like something that you oh. know, might be said or it was <laughs> no, real. No, it's absolutely <laughs> real. Absolutely real. It was, it was the corner right at the end of the game and Rob Holding <laughs> and Dav Louise were on the halfway line kind of looking at each other thinking, are we going up here? And Emmy Martinez lost it. Where the are you going, David? And it was <laughs> did you, you know, hear that? That's what you want from a goalkeeper. You could hear it very audibly. Uh, James, yeah. James did, could you see what uh, David Luiz's response was to this uh, this cry? 
I mean, presumably ignoring it, it's David Luiz, isn't it? But... No, he didn't. <laughs> no, go he, he did stay he back. Didn't. He, he didn't. did stay back. I mean, on we were sat at home. We were sat at home watching it, myself and Alexander, my son, saying, I think we should have one in the box for this corner. We were just ch- trying to choose the person who had the best chance of getting ahead in it and everyone else stayed back. But but I suppose the bigger issue is the goalkeeper directing the traffic a little bit and he seems to have that personality about him, does he not? No, I, li- I, you know, I like him. I like everything he's he's done so far. I think it's still too, he's still too early to start talking about number one. I think Leno is a very, very good goalkeeper and... And the fact that we've got a, a, an adequate, more better than adequate replacement if he's not playing, I think he's definitely you know more comfortable on with his feet. He looks like he's a, a natural in that department. Although he did risk one early doors last night that was a little bit yeah. scary, but um, you know he looks really super confident. And uh, the fact that that's that's obviously what Mikel wants him to do. Um, quite a lot. I think there was a few times in the first twenty minutes they could have um, just changed it up a little bit. But um, yeah, I think he's and it's some of the saves he's been making has been fantastic. He was superb against Tottenham. Yeah, he was. And the other person I wanted to mention was Rob Holding, Amy, when he uh, when he basically left uh, Sadio Mane on the floor and then stood over him. I mean, that tells you there's some fight in that team. Well, there's some fight in Rob Holding. Um, I mean, I think he showed it in that <laughs> final against Chelsea yeah. that uh, uh, James was talking about earlier on as well with his um, uh, his his altercation, if you can call it that, with uh, Diego Costa, uh, which was a big, you know, which was a great moment. He was a young kid and it was a big stage, and he wanted to show that he didn't take any nonsense. Um, and I I feel so much uh, sympathy for him because he hasn't had much luck in a way, in terms of, of really seldom getting a good run of games in all the time he's been at the club. And he really needs that. I, I'd love to see how much he can develop his uh, his sense of, of kind of leading the defence and, and being on top of his game, which I'm thinking, you know, hopefully he'd be capable of. Uh, I d- it looked like, because he had been very much out of the picture in the same way that Socrates has. Uh, I mean, all those games recently when Kolasinac's um, touches and possession have been sort of so terrifying you th- found myself catching my head thinking wouldn't you try another centre-back even if you're playing three centre-backs and even if it might not be the right foot wouldn't you just try something else um, but uh, e- even then that you know holding and Socrates seem to find game time really hard to come by so I was glad to see him get picked and I just would like to see him have a run a bit like Martinez you just want to see someone have enough games and enough consistency uh, being at the sharp end to to really find their rhythm in in the team just wanted to mention about the Liverpool their defenders made some mistakes and the shock that they were in when that happened and we were both sitting there last night thinking this happens to us every week this stuff so I don't know why you're feeling quite like this. Um, it, you know, obviously, even if you spend £75 million on a defender, they can make mistakes. But are we all agreeing that that is the area that we need to strengthen above any other, Lee? I'd like to see um, improvement in all departments. And, uh, and, I, and when I say that, I, I mean to increase the quality of the squad, which Arteta was talking about last night. It's not just one player. It's, it's, it's players in different departments just to put the pressure on we don't know what's going to happen with Bamiyang either in the summer um you know so we we need to be we need to 
guarantee a certain amount of goals of creativity from midfield is Sabayas the answer um not sure um so from that point of view but there's the system that he played last night was interesting. The way that he changed, you know, changed the dynamics of it a little bit, and then pulled um, Lacazette into that false nine and played the two lads a little bit higher and wider, which trying to engage their fullbacks a little bit, and also stop the two centre backs coming through um, into or passing through and coming through into our midfield with Lacazette just standing there. So. He's a thinking, you know, he's a he's a thinking man all of the time with about the game, and that's all come, you know, come from his learnings with Pep. You know, he won't. Do, there'll be loads of little quirky things that that go on like that, and subtle as well. Because when they set when when we set up before the game and they run out and everyone's going, oh, are they playing with a four? Are they playing with a five? Are they what they did? And it's a fluid formation. You know, sometimes it looked like a five, sometimes it went to a four, other times it went to a um, to a straight three, and the fullbacks went inside, and it. It was it was fascinating to watch, and I and I love all that about him, and I think that's a real positive. The next thing is to give him the tools and the players to be able to then get the next, you know, get the most out of of a really innovative coach, um, and you know that that's up to the club. Nice to speak to you, Lee. We'll um, we'll add you to the WhatsApp group as soon as you leave here today. It's been uh, lovely <laughs> to share. Don't feel offended when I leave, will you? Please don't feel offended. <laughs> to celebrate the return of the Premier League, we're offering listeners a 30-day free trial with The Athletic for a limited time only. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod to sign up. Enjoy all of James and Amy's articles, as well as those from our other great writers, including David Ornstein, of course, between now and the end of the season. That's theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod. Thank you, uh, as always, to Mr. Lee Dixon. Uh, he'll be back uh, next week. I'm still here with Amy Lawrence and James McNicholas. James, we have mentioned uh, your piece about Mikel Arteta's rather pointed comments. Um, I know we've talked about this, but it was such a sort of difference from the, say, Arsene Wenger, who sort of protected the board, as you said, and Unai Emery, who didn't really have the English um, to really make these sort of pointed comments about what is needed to build the team. Mikel Arteta, I mean, it was interesting. He was speaking to the uh, to the um, broadcasters, but it wasn't really for them, was it, that comment? No, I don't think so. I mean, and it was a UK TV channel he was speaking to, but I think that comment was intended to reverberate on the other side of the Atlantic as much will as anywhere it, else. James, will it? I think I think it will because I think there are several factors in that. I think one is that I think the cranky presence at Arsenal is increasing. They are more aware of sort of goings on on the ground than they have been for some time. Uh, I mean, we saw Tim Lewis was appointed to the board, who's someone who's got a, a long-standing association with with Stan and Josh Kroenke. Potentially, that gives them a pair of eyes in London as well. Uh, but I also think that what Mikel Arteta has is a credibility to him and I think that he will be trying to foster that relationship with the owners because he must recognise that if he always has to go through the executive committee he might encounter problems it might be a bit of a sort of executive bottleneck for him if he can develop a way of direct communication with the people who are ultimately you know the people holding the purse that will put him in good stead and putting my fan hat on I absolutely loved what Arteta said because 
he's going into bat for football matters. You know, he's thinking only about the sporting integrity here. He's thinking, how can I make this Arsenal team good? He's the head coach. It's not his job to worry about the bank balance. At times it felt like Arsene Wenger was the coach, but also the economist. You know, he was the chief executive too, in some respects. Arteta's just thinking football. He's thinking, I need better players and I'm prepared to put my neck on the parapet, stick my head above the parapet, sorry to stop mixing my metaphors, (laughs) (laughs) and say, you know, this is what we require. And I think that's good. I think a little bit of that sort of tension and friction between Arteta and the executives or between Arteta and the owners can be healthy. That's what competitive environments are forged on. A little bit of that tension. And he's prepared to bring that. And I like it a lot. Yeah, all right. I I take that point. But Amy, isn't that a little bit dysfunctional? Surely his first port of call should be Raul Sanlehi, right? Who then takes it to Josh and Stan, who then come up with the funds or don't come up with the funds to to go out on national TV after a game, albeit a game where we've beaten the champions 2-1, and to basically say, I need you to back me. And I'm not talking to the TV viewers. I'm talking to some guy over the other side of the Atlantic. It's, it's, I mean, I understand what James is saying about the creative tension, if you like, but it's a little bit dysfunctional, isn't it? I don't know. Maybe it's a way of correcting things. Um, I think you have to look at the, uh, it's been a lot of changes in the way that the club has functioned from top to bottom uh, lately. And looking back, I think Arsene Wenger actually had quite a nice individual relationship with Stan Kroenke in particular. They got on well, I think, uh, the two men, and pretty sure if one or other of them wanted to pick up the phone to each other that that was easy. But things obviously have, have ch- I don't think I don't think Arsene had to go through someone else to speak to Stan or vice versa. Um, I think it's absolutely right that the head coach should be able to speak to the owner of the club and have to not go through an, a, an intermediary if, if he wishes to, or vice versa. Um, I don't think you have to have everything going through in any line of business. If you have to, things get diluted or changed or what have you along the way. Every time there's it's a bureaucratic way of doing things, you speak to them and they speak to that person and that person goes along to the next point of the ladder. I mean, it's not such a gargantuan organisation that important people shouldn't be able to communicate with one another. Um, and I, I think it, I wholly encourage uh, any kind of developing relationship or rapport between Arteta and the people who run the club. I think that's only good for the club. And it's obviously the job of others to do the deals. Um, And everybody hopes that they're going to have a fantastic summer. Uh, They've got a lot of work on to do enough outstanding deals to fast track the kind of success that Arsenal want and to give Arteta the tools to do what it very much looks like he's a natural uh, for. But I'm, I'm 100% with James that a little bit of that creative tension is is great. I think all the best organisations, even if you look historically at Arsenal, and I don't know Lee's not with us at the minute, but he would verify how arguments in the dressing room were important, you know, uh, uh, how people having a go at each other in training was part of what pushed everybody to be better. It wasn't having a go at people for a laugh. Uh, it was because everybody had the same aim, which was to win. And if everybody has the same aim for Arsenal, which is to get to that position of trying to compete better to win again, then 
I imagine there has to be some difficult conversations along the way and good because that's the only way you're going to get the best outcomes not with people pussyfooting around avoiding confrontation and being nice to each other it's like us and Lee having that creative tension over whether or not he's going to be in the WhatsApp group. You know, at the end of the day, we all want to make a good podcast, you know? It does add a certain creative tension. There's no getting away from it. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's um, uh, now there was a well, talking of tension, uh, Ainsley Maitland Niles, David Ornstein has also written a piece in The Athletic um, headline uh, Maitland Niles feels he has to leave Arsenal for first team football. Uh, I think a lot of people can see that Mikel Arteta maybe doesn't trust him. Uh, James, whose fault is this? Is it Ainsley for not stepping up? Do you know what? I think in the light of what's happening with, say, Matteo Genduzzi, who also seems to be headed out of Arsenal but isn't even available for selection, I kind of feel that the Ainsley Maitland-Niles thing is sort of just one of those natural things where the coach doesn't quite fancy him as a first-team player. The player's reached an age where he feels he needs to go and play somewhere. But there don't seem to have been any great recriminations over this. I mean, he came on against Liverpool. He's still part of the plans. He's been very committed in the performances we have seen from him. I kind of think this might be a scenario where everybody wins. I like Maitland-Niles as a player, but if we can move him on, sell him for a decent fee, get that English premium on him, he can go and play the first team football he wants. Arteta can get a player that is more fitting with what he's trying to do. I have to say, I don't really see any problem with it. I'm sort of fairly relaxed about the whole situation. Amy, do you feel the same way about this? Ish. Uh, I'm slightly saddened in that I think that, you know, the more of that homegrown core that we can build on, provided they have the right quality, then that can't be a bad thing. And there is a tendency at Arsenal for more of the players to come through to be attacking players. Um, There aren't so many defensive players that come through the system and end up... Mm playing for the first team and I think with the right attitude and if he was able to and wanted to learn from Arteta and develop uh, there's the you know makings he's got so many qualities that could be there have been certain moments in games this season where Ainsley's come on and done something great and uh, if there hasn't been that consistency of it or he's been in and out I don't know but but there is something there. There is definitely something there that you think could be moulded into a better player. Um, I don't know what Arteta truly thinks, and James might be right that he, for whatever reason he just doesn't quite fancy him and thinks there's something better. But I, I can't help wondering if uh, you know uh, it would if he could have been persuaded um, to be that to evolve into that kind of right back, right wing back, sort of equivalent player of Tierney on that right hand side. Um, he's got the the attributes maybe to have been really good there, but maybe he just doesn't want it. I don't know why. Um, yeah, but which, which, in the end, you just have to do what's best for the club now when it gets to a situation like this. Before we go, uh, let's have a song. Um, <laughs> Amy! <laughs> You had you. I'm, you I'm, I think I'm just going to leave. I'm 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 going to leave the podcast now because I know what's coming. Come on, <laughs> it's we won. What what are you choosing a song? I am assuming you're not choosing. Oh, I'll choose Sweet a song. Caroline. I'll choose a song. I thought you were going to try and get me to talk about Sweet Caroline. Uh, it, <laughs> no, no, no. It just it honestly, it honestly makes me a little bit sick in my mouth when I hear it. It's just like I I, I have a physical reaction against that song, and they, the way they foisted it as if it's some kind of let's celebrate an Arsenal win at home by playing Sweet Caroline vibe 
honestly, whoever made that decision is, I, 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 I struggle for words. Well, listen, I, I have something to add on this because <laughs> I, I went down to the stadium for the game yesterday and with the COVID protocols, you know, there is a preference for people to make it there avoiding public transport. So I drove into the stadium and parked in the car park under the ground. And in order to do that, you have to communicate with a guy who looks after all the parking. And I sent him an email and said, oh, hi there. I'm, I'm coming to the game tonight. Can I have a parking space? And he said, you won't believe this, but um, I'm just listening to you now. I'm a big listener to uh, the Arsecast and I listen to Handbrake Off as well. And I love it. And he said, I'm also the DJ at the ground uh and i was like <laughs> you know, i suddenly thought oh well we've talked about sweet caroline before on here and he was very quick to say i don't make the decisions it's foisted upon me i don't choose the music myself so in his defense we can't hold the dj culpable in this particular instance Okay. It, it would be it would be a, a point of resignation principle for me though if that was for <laughs> I couldn't do that job. This guy should quit is what you're saying. It's, he should it's, walk. It, it, yeah, it, it's putting undue pressure on someone in their in their line of work. I think. <laughs> All right, so you're not having. Ian, how do you feel about it? I, listen, I won't hear a word said against Neil Diamond. I'll be honest with you. Um, Fine. <laughs> I like the song, but I don't. Oh, I don't like God. music. Hang on. I don't like music played at football, full stop. I don't like it when you score a goal and they play I feel good or something like that. I think we're not that. That's a small club mentality. That's like your goalkeeper taking any free kicks in your own half, right? It's that sort of level of small club mentality. And I don't like it. But I, I, it's not It's not my most hated tune. We did also play Motorhead at halftime last night, which I thought was a slight surprise. Is anyone going to choose a song that we're going to have? Yes. Amy, are you going to choose a song? Yeah, inspired by Mikel Arteta's um, uh, pointed remarks about getting some more backing. I'm going for The Flying Lizards and Money. The best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. I want money. something along the the, the the theme of flying myself. I was watching replays of that Emmy Martinez save in the last minute where he flung himself across the goal. Quite extraordinary, actually. And apparently the TV coverage didn't give it too much attention because uh, it was right at the end of the game. But given that, anything flying would fit for me. I don't know the track, but I'm happy to put my name to it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have uh, Wow by Kate Bush, I think, just to express how <laughs> amazed I was by what happened last night. Um, also, by the way, I, can I just say it on, on the subject of music? I'd still rather hear any music than Martin Tyler going on about haircuts and trying to do a, an impression of Alan Smith, which, if you heard that last night, was it's the second time he's done that uh, in the last four days, and it's getting, I don't know what he's I doing. I didn't hear it, but I do. I, I have noticed a little trend that commentators, I think, are suffering slightly without the crowds. I think they are feeling a compulsion to feel silence that they wouldn't otherwise feel. And Possibly it is leading, with humour, which is yes. slightly misplaced. Yes. And it is leading to some some interesting <laughs> moments, let's say, in the commentary booth. Well, I, I think just to, the first time he said it, um, yes. 
the first match, I just remember thinking, oh, that's a terrible joke, which is obviously what <laughs> Alan thought as well at the time on Coco. Well, what's the joke? Sorry, because I haven't... The joke, it was about Danny Ceballos, and it was right. a, he said something along the lines of him getting... Um, uh, he used to be a, a, a trainee hairdresser, but he's not getting... The money he's getting is not enough. Maybe he should have stuck with a hairdressing or so, oh, yes, something along those now. lines. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and at the time, I just, ah, you know... And, I guess you guys as a stand-up comics will, will maybe know what it's like more when, you know, a, a, a joke falls flat. But um... No, no, don't know that. <laughs> Never happened, actually. <laughs> no, no. Go Still on. Waiting. But when it, when, it, when it started up on it again last night, it's like, <laughs> yeah. huh? Like, hang on. You, you, it, it didn't work the first time. You're not having another, another bash at this joke, are we? And it was almost like... I think that he felt he had to try and explain the joke because people didn't he get did. it the first time. Yeah. How many um, how many goes would you give something in? <laughs> like if something doesn't land on the, like the first tryout, how many runouts do you give it? What I tend to do is the second time I do it in a brummy accent just to see if it works. Right. Then that will seal the off, deal. That will push it over the that, line. After that, it's not happening. Is out. Uh, anyway, Martin. <laughs> to be stop fair, it. no, I think I think James is completely right. I really actually. I, there were times watching, you know, some of the games that are that lull a bit. You do find yourself watching, sort of looking around the room and find, you know, finding ways of distracting yourself. But I can imagine that it is hard work to try and, you know, commentate through these lacking in atmosphere, sort of dead zone match scenarios. It was a weird game. Let's be honest, it was a really, really weird game. I thought it was quite hard to find anything to say about at one point. I just sat there sort of slightly speechless watching the game. So therefore to have said anything at all, even if it was a bad joke for the second time, maybe deserves some, some kind of respect. I just imagine the producer shouting in his ear. <laughs> Move no. on, Martin. Martin Not, no. again. Not again. It didn't work on Sunday. What are you doing it again for? Uh, anyway, that's uh, we're done. Uh, thank you, Amy. Thank you, James. Um, and thanks to Lee Dixon and thanks to Tyo, our wonderful uh, producer. This has been Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast for the Athletics. See you soon. Oh, by the way, to the um, to the DJ uh, at the Emirates, mm. if you are still listening, I, I'm sorry about my rant. It wasn't really meant personally. <laughs>